0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are continuing secure forever. God's promise or our perseverance. And when it comes to understanding the issue of salvation, obviously we want to first define exactly what that is. And then we will start understanding what makes that up. And if you get an, an understanding of the salvation that God provides, what it is and what it covers, what it entails, what it includes then honestly, folks, the details of the Christian life will fall right into place. Because if you get your foundation right, you can build your structure properly. But if you've got a faulty foundation, you've got all kinds of problems down the road. You may not see them right now, but you're going to get them sooner or later. And you're going to have a structure that's going to have all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems. Now, you know, we love to use cliches, don't we? Some of them are true and some of them are not. One that most of us heard all of our lives is one that cleanliness is next to godliness. You ever heard that one? You know, there's some people who think that's actually in the Bible. Not in there, sorry, it's not in there. I think of that cleanliness as next to godliness. Now, listen, I believe in being clean. Even most of our kids in church believe in being clean. You know, they believe in taking a bath at least once every two weeks or so. (laughs) And, uh, you know, by the way, if you have a garden that can't grow anything, just put something in your child's ear. It'll grow. It'll grow. (laughs) Cleanliness is next to godliness. Tell that to believers who are being persecuted in third world countries, who live in rags, who don't have homes. You see what I'm saying? We get too Western, don't we? One that I mentioned last week, and I'll mention more as we go through the series, the elephant in the room. An obvious problem that no one wants to address. Well, that's a good name for that kind of a thing. But if you just say, well, there's an elephant in the room, you know, and no one knows what you're talking about and you don't define it, they'll think you're crazy, that you're hallucinating, right? We also like to speak with what I call Christianese. We use some terms that might be biblical, actually, but the average person has no idea what you're talking about. Now, you know, and we've taught many times when you share your faith with other people, define your terms, define your terms. And if you're not using a term that's a biblical one, don't use it at all. Why? Because you're just introducing something that's going to cause confusion. But even if you're using biblical terms, define your terms, because the average person on the street has no idea what you're talking about. Let me give you an example of that. The term born again. Now, that's a precious term in the word of God. Jesus is the one who used it. Okay? This became popular in our country when uh, Jimmy Carter was running for president and he said he was, he was born again. And uh, so, you know, people looked into that. What did he mean? And, and he tried to define it from his terms. But then what happened is people started applying it to everything. Do you notice that? Uh, people started applying it to things such as machines that had been refurbished. You know, my car's been born again. Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> um, by the way, that is as far away from what it is talking about as anything could be. What does it mean to be born again? We'll talk about that. What about, here's another one. This is where we're going today. What about the word saved? Saved. I'm saved. What does that mean? You know, I think a legitimate question for somebody to ask you if you use that term is this Saved from what? See, people understand kind of what the word saved means, but there's a context that has to be defined when you come down to that unfortunately there are people who use the term saved and they know it has to do with god and if i could use the term and i don't like it but i'll use it just for the sake of illustration religion but a lot of people will say i'm saved and they simply mean i'm religious so we need to define the terms if god gave us terms we need to define them and this is where we find ourselves this morning what do these things mean Saved from what if salvation is so important in light of eternity I think we need to understand it. And so let's begin there today. Salvation, number one, salvation. What does it mean to be saved? This is foundational to any teaching about the Christian life. Listen, you don't have a Christian life unless you're really, truly, biblically saved. So what does it mean? Understanding the biblical teaching on this will give us a firm foundation on which to build our lives. Not only that, but it'll give us discernment when it comes to false teachings on this issue. And there's a lot of false teaching on the issue of what it means to be saved today. Let's remember, folks, that there is no more important issue in the world than this one because it is through true salvation. And through, as I'll define it in a moment, the message of the gospel, that people are delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven with God. Sidebar, real narrow sidebar this morning, because we don't have time to digress too much, but one of the more popular, I think he's a Southern Baptist preacher today, young, young guy, one of the more popular ones. He's saying that when we die, we won't go to heaven. That's what he's saying. We won't go to heaven. Now, I'm sure he's got some twist. You might say, well, what does he teach on it, pastor? You know what? I didn't even give it the time. That is so ridiculous. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation. God creates a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, and we're gonna live there with him. What does that mean if it doesn't mean that? Anyway, the verb save, the verb save, in other words, to save, the idea, okay, is the Greek word sozo, and it means in its simplest form to deliver to deliver, okay? As a noun, salvation means deliverance. So the word is used both ways. It's used as a noun. It's also used as a verb. Now, the Old Schofield Study Bible states this, and I quote, The Hebrew and Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes as, such as, justification, and again, I can't define these today because of time, justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. You might say, what do all those things mean? I can tell you this, they're all important Bible doctrines, and they are all within the word salvation that's how important it is it is a dynamite word in the word of God it is a powerful powerful word now when we talk about becoming a Christian we are not talking about adopting Christian moral values now listen carefully folks you are not a Christian because you live by Christian ethics that is not how you become a Christian Now, it's good to live by Christian ethics because God is the one who determines things and we do reap what we sow. We are talking about salvation or deliverance from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death and eternal damnation. That is what we're talking about when we're talking about salvation. It is being saved or delivered from conscious torment in a literal hell for all eternity to an eternity with God in heaven. That is what we're talking about. Now, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what we need to know. You know, we sang the hymn this morning. We opened up with what, what hymn? Standing on the promises. That's this book. The message we are looking at, this word we are looking at, salvation, is one of the promises of scripture. So number two, how does a person obtain this eternal salvation, this deliverance? How does a person obtain it? Is it through faithfulness to God's principles of morality? Is it by keeping his commandments, as many people teach today? Is it through hard work or good deeds or perseverance as a person? Is it through the sacraments or the ordinances of a certain religion? Is it through faith in Christ and also living the Christian life, which is taking what he has done and coupling it with what you do? Is that it? Well, the Bible is abundantly clear on this issue. Eternal salvation is only obtained by believing the message of the gospel. Now, if you're a thinking person, you have to be thinking. Okay, I understand what the word salvation means. Now you've used another one of those terms. Please, pastor, don't speak Christianese. Tell me what the gospel is. I am so glad you asked me that. What is the gospel? Well, according to the Bible, the gospel is the good news. By the way, that's what the word gospel means, good news. The gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and that all who trust in Him and Him alone as their Savior receive that moment, everlasting life. Never ends. It's eternal. In other words, if you're saved, you're saved forever because when you get saved, you receive everlasting life. If it stops, it's no longer everlasting. Therefore, it's not the real deal. It's not the real deal. Now, look at 1 Corinthians 15, this good news. Paul says in verse 1, he says, I deliver unto you the gospel. Then in verse 3, starts defining it. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also receive, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right. Now he says, this is the gospel. Well, then how do you get salvation? By responding properly to that good news. By believing that. Let me show that to you. Go over with me over to Romans chapter one. We know now what the gospel is. It is the good news that Jesus got in the flesh, went to the cross, died on the cross, made the complete payment for our sin, rose from the grave three days later. There it is. Now, how do you obtain salvation? Are you following me? We're trying to put this together. We're trying to define the terms. How then do you receive salvation? Romans 1, verse 16. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There it is, that good news. Remember what it is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, how do I get it? To everyone that believeth. There it is. It's by faith. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 17. Don't forget verse 17. For in it, for therein, In it, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You notice what the gospel is? You notice whose righteousness is revealed in the true message of salvation, which is the gospel? It's not our righteousness. It's not what we do. It's what Christ has done for us. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, that he is God, that when he died on the cross, he completely paid for all of your sins of your entire lifetime. And that he rose from the grave. And if you will put your trust in him, your faith in him, he will give you eternal life. He will save you by his grace. And we'll define grace as we go on in this series. So you see it's based on the gospel and it's based on putting your faith in the message of the gospel. And if you do, you receive salvation, deliverance from hell to heaven, okay? Now, in the book of Acts, and we are getting into something right now I want you to pay close attention to, okay? It is part of this, last week we talked about, do you remember what we talked about was in the room? Who can tell me what was in the room? The elephant was in the room, and we defined it as those who are saying contradictory things to the gospel. In the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching this very gospel that I just shared with you and delivering a woman from demon possession. And they were taken into custody, and they were beaten, and they were thrown into jail, into prison. And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 16. So turn there with me. Very, very important that you see this. Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. Here we go. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. There they were in a dungeon. They were there. They were in chains. They had been beaten. They probably had open sores on their back. They were bruised up. They were bloodied, but they would not be defeated. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands, chains, were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled, because under Roman law, if prisoners escape from a guard, it was death for the guard. So he figured, I might as well take care of it myself. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we're all here. We're still here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The context was there. They had been singing praises, okay? They had been talking. They had been sharing the gospel with others in jail. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. And they said, okay, now let's stop. He asked the question. He wants to know. He wants to be saved. All he needs is you tell me how. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Of course, his house was right next door. You see, folks, why is this so significant? Paul and Silas had a perfect opportunity to tell the Philippian jailer how to be saved. It's what he was asking. They could have told him anything, and he would have believed it. But what they told him was the clear and simple truth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe and be saved. Now listen very carefully. That is all they told him to do. This is a major issue. That is all they told him to do. They didn't tell him anything more to do than believe. And if you do, you will be saved. Now let's stop right there. They either told him the truth or they did not. They either told him the truth or they did not. There cannot be Anything in between. They gave him a clear and simple answer. Okay? Is that how to be saved? According to the Bible. Well, according to the Bible, it is. Paul and Silas not only told him that, but all of Paul's writings support that very truth. That's what he lived and died for, was the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. That's the power of the gospel, right there. That's how you're saved. Now, People will come along and say, well, that's not enough. Believing is not enough. You must also do good works. You must also do this and do that. Now, let me just pause here. We believe once you've trusted Christ and once you're saved, yes, God has a life for us to live, but that is not a requirement for entrance to heaven. You already have everlasting life if you trusted Christ. And we'll get to all of that in the future here. But getting back to the point, They either told him the truth or they didn't. Some people will say, well, they didn't tell him the whole truth. Well, then they didn't tell him the truth. Do you get it? If they didn't tell him the whole truth, they didn't tell him the truth. If they told him the truth, then that is the whole truth. John chapter 3, turn there with me. Jesus in John chapter three shared the same exact truth with Nicodemus the Pharisee. Nicodemus was a righteous living Jewish man. He was a Pharisee. He believed in law keeping. He believed in good works. He thought his good works would save him. No question, that's what he believed. That's what the Pharisees believed. And because they believed in good works for salvation, this is one of the main reasons why the other Pharisees wanted Jesus dead because he was saying, it's not in your law keeping, it's in, by faith in me. And they knew what he was saying. In John 8, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, literally, I am he, but the word he's italicized. They knew he was talking about Jehovah God in Exodus 3. He said, unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Well, they've considered that blasphemy. Now here in John 3, Here's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Right before this, he's telling him about his need, Nicodemus' need to be born again. And now Jesus tells him how. And it says in John 3.16, Jesus is saying this, by the way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, referring to himself, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, to believe in Christ is not simply to believe he existed as a historical figure. It's to believe the context of what he's talking about here, which was the way of salvation. And Jesus said, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you see in verse 18? He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is already condemned. Why? Because he hasn't believed. Now, the condition is to believe and the promise from God the Son is that if you will believe in him as your Savior you will receive everlasting life. Listen carefully, folks. That's all Jesus told him to do. Jesus either told Nicodemus the truth or he did not. There can be no in between. I have actually had people tell me, well, what Jesus said was true, but it wasn't all of it. It wasn't all people needed to do. Well, then Jesus did not tell him the truth. He deceived him because all Jesus told him to do was believe. And if he did, what would he receive? Everlasting life. That's heaven. It's eternity with God. So here's Jesus, God in the flesh, who says, if you will trust in me as your savior, I will give you everlasting life. It'll be yours. It's everlasting. You can have it. And then we have people coming along today, many, many preachers, and by the way, many of them on the radio and TV, who will say, well, believing's not enough, or you have to do this, or you also have to do that, and all these other things. Friend, are you smarter than God? By the way, the answer to that is no, you're not. (laughs) And neither am I. The Gospel of John states over 90 times that the condition for receiving salvation is by believing. Did you know that? To say, as some might say, that Jesus did not tell him the complete truth is to insinuate that Jesus misled Nicodemus and gave him a false hope. There's a word for that. It's called blasphemy. If a person will put their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, according to John 3, God will save them at that point in time and give them everlasting life. Is that true or not? Is that true? Yes, it is. If you say, well, no, it's not true, then you are saying what Jesus said was not true. Now, look at chapter six of John, a couple of pages over. Here, Jesus again says it. He could not make it clearer and simpler than this. He says in verse 47, verily, verily, that's old King James talk for truly, truly. If we were to use a street talk for that today, we would say, I really mean this. I'm telling you the truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath, present tense, possesses right now, everlasting life. True or no? It's gotta be true. Jesus said it. He can't lie. He can't make a mistake. So if I will simply trust in him, If you believe, you will have at that very moment everlasting life. You see, Jesus was either telling the truth or he wasn't. There can be no in-between. There can be no, well, he kind of was. No, he was either telling the truth or he wasn't. These are definitive statements, clear to the point. We need to stop for a moment and let that sink into our minds. Now, why am I spending so much time on this? Because here's the point today. Listen very carefully. If this is enough to save a person and give them everlasting life, then to add anything to it is to pervert the truth of God. Now listen, folks, let me say, pause here. I am not this morning trying to split theological hairs, okay? Here is my concern. This is what drives me on this issue. I don't want anybody to think they're going to heaven and not end up there. Can you imagine thinking you're a Christian and according to the Bible, you're not? You may have lived a moral life, but morality will not get you. If if you could get there through morality, Nicodemus would have been a prime example. Jesus told him right off the bat, hey, bud, you need to be born again if you're gonna see the kingdom. And then he tells him how, and it's through faith in him. So if this is enough to save a person and give them everlasting life, then to add anything to it is to pervert the truth. Remember, there's only one gospel. We saw that in Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, singular, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Turn with me to Galatians chapter one. You see, I say this today not to... uh, Split a theological hair, not to be controversial. I am pleading for souls. Maybe for you today, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. Dear friend, can I tell you this? I love you, I am concerned about your eternal destiny, that's why I'm covering this. I care about you, I don't want you to end up forever separated from God in torment. And so I'm telling you what the Bible says on how you can not only escape hell, live forever with God in heaven. Hope you understand my heart on that. This is what Paul believed, and Jesus, and John, and James, and Peter, all of them. Andrew. Galatians 1, verse 6. The entire book of Galatians, by the way, is written to refute the false teaching that it's Jesus Christ and our good works that bring righteousness and salvation. Galatians 1, verse 6. Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. In other words, he's saying there's only one, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert means to change something into the opposite character of what it is. Okay? Okay. The idea is like the scriptures talk about turn people from people to be turned from darkness to light. Okay, from darkness to light. In other words, the opposite, that which is opposite character. Now, if the gospel brings eternal salvation, then to pervert the message brings not eternal salvation, it brings eternal damnation. And that's exactly what he says. See, if you mess up the gospel, you're no longer preaching a message that brings salvation. You're, bringing a, you're preaching a message that keeps people lost. That's serious. There's nothing more serious than that. Nothing more serious. Verse seven, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Anathema. Anathema under the wrath of God. As we said before, so say I now again. He repeats himself. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. You see his emphasis here about there's only one and any other is a perversion of the truth and it's not the truth any longer. This goes along perfectly with what he and Silas told the jailer in jail. When they were there. This goes along perfectly with what Jesus told Nicodemus. This goes along perfectly with what Jesus said in John chapter 6. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. You're in Galatians. Go one book over to your right into Ephesians. And we're going to spend a lot more time on this next week. And we're going to break this down. You know, I, I I mentioned at the beginning: define your terms. You have to define your terms. Next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the terms, but let me just quickly look at this today. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says this, how are you saved? Okay, here's how. For by grace are you saved through faith. There it is. Faith is the noun form of believe, which would be the verb. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what? In Christ. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of Of God. You know what a gift is. It's free. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When I first saw that, time stood still for me because I was raised in a religion that taught me that my good works had something to do with getting me to heaven. And I saw that and I thought, I need a Savior because my good works are of no value in getting me to heaven. And I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you know what? I got what Jesus told Nicodemus he would get. I was born again. Born of the Spirit. A spiritual new birth. Not, listen, not a renovation of the old man. Okay? People say, well, when you get saved, you get renovated. No, you don't. You get regenerated. That means a new birth. Big difference renovation you know what that's like that's like going into a house and you say we're going to do a remodel job and you tear a bunch of stuff out and you put stuff in but it's not brand new it's renovated no salvation is this god says you need a new house i'm going to give it to you it's perfect and i'm going to give it to you for free because i love you well lord who's going to pay for this i'm going to pay for it you don't have to pay anything it's a love gift because i love you so much well, Lord, I don't deserve that. You're right, it's grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. That's the basis. And friend, that's exactly how you get to heaven, is through grace, the grace of God, his unmerited favor towards us. When we put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, that he died for us and rose from the grave, he gives us that moment, everlasting life, and we are saved forever, eternally secure. Let me show you this illustration. This hand representing you and me. Let my wallet here represent our sin. Here we are. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us. God loves us though. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You see, friend, to get to heaven, you have to be sinless and none of us are. We all do things wrong, including me. I point one finger at you. I've got three pointing back at me. We're all sinners, but God loves us. He wants us to go to heaven, but we can't get to heaven with even one sin because heaven's a perfect place. If sin was allowed in heaven, it would be just like earth. That would be a bummer. God says, because we've sinned against him, that sin has to be paid for. You break the law, you have to pay the price. God says, the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. If we pay for our own sin, we'd spend forever separated from God, suffering for it. God doesn't want that for anyone. That is why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, this hand representing him, Sinless. Therefore, he was qualified to be a substitute because he was sinless. See, if Jesus had been a sinner, he couldn't pay for my sin. But because he was sinless, he could step in for me and do for me what I couldn't do for myself. And when Jesus went to the cross, all my sin that I've done or ever will do wrong, he took it upon himself and he made the payment, leaving me nothing to pay for. And he rose from the grave to prove it. And he says, if you will believe or trust in me that I made that payment for you, I will give you everlasting life. You will not come unto condemnation, but you've passed from death unto life, John 5, 24. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he is not believed. See, the payment Jesus made is not good on your behalf until you trust in him as Savior. He made the payment, but it's not good on your behalf until you trust in him. And then the payment is good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. You go to heaven on what he has done, not on what you do. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, would you do it today, friend? I've explained to you the best I can what salvation is, and God wants you to have it. He loves you that much. i say, oh, you don't know what I've done. You are right, and you know what? I don't care. I care about you, but I don't care what you've done. I can tell you this, though. Jesus knows everything you've done and he paid for it when he died on the cross. And he offers you eternal life if you'll trust in him for it. Will you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated thank you so much and God bless you